Everyone and welcome back to Everyday Linux, episode number 80. Why should we care? Recorded January 20th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. We've been away a while. It was an unscheduled a while, uh, but we're we're coming back with a stink bomb. I'm gonna throw a great big stink bomb in the middle of the room and watch and see what happens. The question today is: is it time? For the high-minded ideals of open source, of Stallman and his ilk, to go away. Have they become mm. a stumbling block more than a benefit? So that's the discussion we're going to talk about today. And with me to talk about those things are my good friends and who were dearly missed. Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hi, Chris. Hey, hey, hey. How goes it today? And Mr. Seth Anderson, the gooey kid. Hi, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome back to the wonderful world of podcasting me. <laughs> Pad- podcasting me? Okay. Well, welcome me, me back oh, gotcha. to the wonderful world of everything. I thought that what the world was podcasting you, which I guess is technically correct. Um, well, you know, you know, you say welcome back, right. and then you say what you're back to, and then you say who it is. So I was welcoming back to podcasting myself. Okay. <laughs> so we intended to take a week off, and then we took five weeks off. Um, yeah, most of that's my fault too, by the way. Uh, not all of it, but yeah, some of it. So the well, the first week was the week of uh, uh, before between Christmas and New Year's, and I just decided I didn't want to do a show. That was really all there was to that. There was a lot. It was a holiday, and I just said no. We're, I'm calling it off, guys. And neither of them, one of them, argued a bit with me about nope. that. Um, <laughs> and then the next week. Um, what was the next week? I don't, I, there were, I don't remember the exact order, but two weeks ago, I was hurt. I, I was I was in pain. I, I've told I've told the story on other shows. I haven't told it on this one. I was out on my bicycle trying to keep up with my eight year old. Forty year olds should never try to keep up with eight year olds. Um, and and I'll remember that one. So, <laughs> uh, at the end of the ride, but let me. I'll just go ahead and tell the whole story. I, I apologize if it's a repeat, but it's a good story. So um, I, you know, I used to ride my bike daily. Uh, it was it was a part of my uh, uh, effort to be a healthier individual. So I, I have a bicycle, and it's been a while. It's been more than a year since I rode it that regularly, and probably eight months since I rode it at all. Uh, you know, the the, the flat tires were flat. I had to air them up before I could go. So all three of the kids got new bikes for Christmas, and they wanted me to go out riding with them. So I drugged, I drugged out, dragged out. I hauled out the old. Uh, bike um the saturday after christmas and i had a goal we live at the bottom of a hill and my goal was to go to the top of the hill and i recognized it might take a while and that was actually a fairly ambitious goal to to haul my rotundity up to the top (laughs) of the hill but that was my goal i'm gonna make it up the top of the hill so i hopped on the bike i you know made a few adjustments because it's been a while since i rode and i headed up the hill and then my goal changed because I realized I was never going to make it up that hill. So about a quarter way up, my goal changed to simply riding around the cul-de-sac for a while, which encompasses part of the hill, but not all the hill. So I did that. And so I rode around until I thought my lungs were going to burst and my heart was going to jump out through my nostrils, um, 
which was only about eight minutes. Uh, <laughs> and I decided I was done. I'd had enough. My eight-year-old at this point is literally riding circles around me as I'm going around. We're having a good time. All is fun. So because we live at the bottom of the hill, when you come into our driveway, there's about a three and a half to four inch lip that water hits and it forces the water off into the storm drain instead of into my garage and thus into my house. So as I'm approaching it, the 20-year-old who's still locked in my brain, still thinks I'm 20, says, okay, the way you handle this, you've done this a thousand times before. You simply lift up on the front of the uh, wheel, you hop up over that curb, and everything's fine. And so about the time my brain said everything's fine, my body went, wait, did you say something? Oh! Um, (laughs) I hit the curb. Whoops. Threw my 450-pound self over the front handlebars, Mm. landed squarely on my right elbow, and separated my right shoulder. Actually, pulled toward the pectoral muscle is what it ended up being. Ow, Um, ow, 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 ow. Yeah, I'm still in a good deal of pain from that. But, you know, the next night, that was on Saturday, the next night we were supposed to do the show, it literally hurt to breathe. And I was (laughs) like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. So that's why we called that show off. And then the next week... Um, somebody got sick. I think it was, oh, Seth, Seth had to deal with the family member, right? Yes. So you were out. And then the next week, Chris had a death in the family or a, a well, close to family, the family friend, right? Really close. Yeah. So we didn't mean to be away all that long. The just stuff got in the way. Well, and then on top of all that, um, I have to give my wife props because she is my wife and I love her to death. She has now received her black belt in Taekwondo. That was one of the weekends as well. Oh, yeah. So what you're saying is if you didn't give her props, she would kick your butt. (laughs) Twice. Um, Maybe. (laughs) Possibly. We'll see. Um, But, yeah, it's just been all over crazy in my life with the the death of the family friend, um, you know, thanking Doctor Who for saving us from the end of the world, and, yeah, all that fun stuff. See, I have a black belt, and it's uh, it's brown on the other side. It's reversible. It's a a nice belt. Um. I've added loops to my black belt in a good way. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, a friend of the show, Aaron Butler, the former fat guy, is currently right now, uh, I don't know if exactly at this moment, but uh, is training for a, a marathon. He's going to, on uh, uh, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, Sunday, he's going to run in the Georgia, uh, the Publix Georgia Marathon. And uh, he just this last Saturday, yesterday, as we're recording this, ran 14 and a quarter miles. And Ooh. man, I got to give props to that. That's amazing. Uh, two years ago, he was a big old fat dude who who could barely walk to the to the refrigerator. Maybe three years ago, and now he's training for a marathon. So good on you, Aaron. No kidding. Way to go, hey Aaron. And he, uh, you know, a lot of people start with a half marathon. Well, his training this this week was longer than a half marathon. So he's uh, he's running um, progressively more. He runs three nights a week, and they're progressively longer. So I think his warm-up runs right now are about six miles, which is a 10K. So he's running his like his shortest run every week is a 10K. So for all wow. you people out there who ran a 10K over the holiday and felt special about it, you know, there's a fat guy out there kicking your butt. <laughs> yeah, not this fat guy. But <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, actually, now he's that's, just sort that's of That's impressive. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, did we, did I cover everything? Is there anything else? Oh, yeah. Uh, before Christmas, I told you that I had intended to buy my children some 7-inch tablets, and I was soliciting um, suggestions. I ended up going with the HKC tablet, 
that was available at Walmart because for two reasons and two reasons only. It was uh, relatively inexpensive. It was $88 at the time. And uh, it was available in pretty girly color colors. So I got a pink one and a purple one for my two oldest kids. Uh, that since has gone up to like $130. Apparently they were very popular. Um, and uh, they're sold out last I looked. But it's a, gr- it's a good tablet. Not a great tablet. It's a good tablet. It's worth... It's worth a hundred bucks. Um, the screen is a little wonky and it's a little on the sluggish side, but for kids, it's great. Uh, but what has happened is has turned my children into appaholics. These things have uh, oh, eight, no. eight gigs of Ram, uh, internal storage, and I bought 16 gig cards and put in them. So they have 24 gigs each. Wow. And I put some movies on them. Uh, some of their favorite movies so that they have some content both of them are now at the point where they have to down uh, delete an app every time they want to install a new one. They have filled up their 24 gig cards uh, with with wow. crap apps, you know, Tiny Zoo and and Super Hotel and and Pretty Lollipops and whatever. But they're nuts about it. I set them all up with their own uh, because I have a Google Apps account that I was grandfathered into. Uh, I was able to set them up with Google Apps accounts with no credit card, so they can only get the free stuff and. Uh, they're they're really good about uh, not getting you know anything that's not age appropriate. Uh, I've trained them well in that regard, so they're just just app happy. Uh, and <laughs> the, the oldest one, the ten year old, uh, she they both actually have Google Voice accounts, so they can send text messages. But the ten year old just goes to town on that. Uh, I'm which, sure. What she has trouble understanding though, she has to be in a Wi Fi zone for a text message to work, because that's not how mommy and daddy works. So we'll be out. <laughs> you know, for four or five hours or whatever, as soon as I pull up into the driveway, all the phones start going nuts with all the text messages she had sent us while we were on the road. Because uh, she, she's not understanding how that works. Uh, <laughs> but they're enjoying them, and I recommend them. The HKC 7-inch. Uh, I think it doesn't have a name other than just 7-inch by HKC. Cool. Hmm. That is awesome. Well, one thing that happened while we were on our break for so long, and I found this hard to believe, is that the PlayStation 2 has officially ceased shipping from Sony, you know, in Japan. So they might still have them in some of the stores, but they no longer sell them. So can you imagine that since 2000 is when it came out, this is like 13 years, almost it lasted. So goodbye, PlayStation 2. You were a marvel in the home console industry. That is pretty impressive, too, for a console that long of a life. Yep. And uh, they're probably still being sold, you know, somewhere. Uh, you know, there's a market for them, I'm sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a you know, like eBay and Craigslist, they're for sale on there all the time. But uh, like I say, they, they ceased shipment of them. Uh, this was actually back on December 28th. So new ones, whatever people had in stock since then, are all that's left. Yeah, so uh, I drew my lines on the other side during those days, and I had a Dreamcast. Um, ah, Dreamcast from, was from cool. Sega. Unquestionably, and, and in many ways, still the best uh, hardware console out there. It's it's better than the Xbox 360 in a lot of categories, even today. Pity nobody actually made games for it, and nobody wanted to buy it. Right. Yeah. I bought that in- thing. I think it was 329. And then I bought an extra controller and and uh, the memory uh, things that had to go in it. I ended up spending close to $1,000 over the course of the first year that I owned it. Um, and then, like, the next year, two years later, 
I was in a pawn shop and they had a stack of them for five bucks each. I thought, man, am I an idiot? Mm. Well, didn't the uh, Dreamcast, wasn't that during the PlayStation time period and not the PlayStation 2? I think the PlayStation 2 and the Dreamcast, if I remember correctly, were competing. Like that same Christmas season, they both came out. Yeah. Yeah, they were... I I made my choice on the PlayStation 2 personally because I liked the Sony practices at the time. Um, But yeah. It was the fact that it could play a DVD. that's, That's what won it the hearts and minds of Americans. And the, what won the PS3 was the fact it had a Blu-ray player. Um, and, right. and Microsoft bet on the, uh, the uh, HD DVD format and ended up missing the boat on that one. Well, some yeah. people would say that they chose the HD DVD format to confuse people and get them to go digital downloads in an effort to kill the, um, the disc markets. Dowdle in the chat room says there was a Linux for the Dreamcast. I never tried that. Um, I, I sold my Dreamcast for like 30 bucks to a kid who was into retro gaming, um, and I hope he's enjoying it. <laughs> Crazy Taxi. Best game in the world. Yeah, that was. That was one of the best games I've ever played in a long time. Though currently, my eating up any free time with uh, playing Borderlands. That's kind of been my game of choice lately. <laughs> Now, Borderlands, that's just a running gun, right? Not a whole lot of plot, just shoot stuff? Uh, it's got some plot, but yeah, it's basically just... It's it's Diablo with guns instead of... any. It, there's no real plot points, but yeah. there's a little bit of plots. The downloadable content is really fun. Um, they had a pirate one, and then they have a another one where the guy is obsessed with explosions. and Yeah, it, it's fun. It's The best time I have, though, is when I play... Because the game gets progressively harder as the more people that is in the is in the game with you, so you can play as you know you can play it single player, or you can add say I'm you know the game's opened up for other people to join, and you can have three more people join with you, and the game becomes just insanely difficult as more people come in. So it's one of those things you never know what the difficulty level is going to be as you're playing because you don't know if someone's going to jump in and jump out of your game. Um, last night I was playing for, th- I think it was three hours, unintentionally for three hours. It just kind of the time went away. But I had 16 different people jump in and out of my game at any given time. And the second they jump in, the difficulty jumps. And the second they leave, the difficulty goes back down. So it was just instantly I'm going from I'm you know shooting people and, and not having any problems to all of a sudden it's taking 15 minutes to clear out what normally would take three minutes. See, that's I like the run and gun kind of game. I don't want to solve a puzzle. I don't want to you know think. I just want to fly or drive or shoot. That's yep, that's what that's, I like. The Halo games were perfect. Until you killed all the the dead, the, the aliens and whatever, and had to find your way back out. Then I quickly lost interest in the game. Um, but when you're just running around shooting things and stuff's flying at you and, and you've got your useless wingman, you go ahead and shoot him in the back of the head just to clear the room. Um, you know, that that's kind of stuff I like. But the yep. the, the pointless plot being reveal, revealed and, and you've got to get up here and this, this fake sense of urgency as the music goes, the ship's going to explode. The ship never explodes until you get off of it. So, you know, it's those things, I, I just bore me. I felt the same way with, with Doom, way back with Doom. Yeah. While I was engaged in battle, I loved it. 
and then I got bored with it. And then I discovered uh, IQKFA, was it something? IQDKFA. And then it was like, oh, this is awesome. Now I'm invincible, and all I have to do is shoot stuff, and I've got all the keys. Perfect. They need that for Halo, and I'll enjoy it a lot more. <laughs> the other thing that I like about Borderlands is if you stick around in a place too long after you clear it out, all the enemies respawn. So you could clear out an area, spend too long you know, looking over the loot, trying to figure out what you want to carry and what you don't, and all of a sudden all the bad guys show back up all around you. That happened to me twice last night where I was <laughs> sitting there you know, looking at the 30 different drops that fell in at my feet going, okay, do I want to keep any of this stuff? So I was comparing, and all of a sudden I'm getting shot in the back of the head because 50 people spawned in behind me. And of course, because I'm in the middle of the map where everybody spawned in around, they're all egging against me now because they're all aggro and that because I'm intruding their area, it triggered them. So it's, it was like instantly panic mode hit because I was like, I got 50 people in 100 rounds of, of shots and I'm no. <laughs> one shot, one kill, Chris. Yeah. So uh, speaking of games, the Ouya that we mentioned a while back just shipped their developer consoles. So Ouya, if you'll remember, is the, uh, correct me guys, the Linux-based game console. No, it's not Linux. Android. Uh, Android. Android. Yeah, that's what yeah. I meant to say. And, oh, I, I watched some demos from their website, and it's pronounced Ouya. Ouya? So it's like, yeah, it's like French, kind of. Well, so, they've changed the, they changed it then, because their website used to say it was Ouya, like the sound uh, you would make when you pwn somebody. So oh, okay. maybe the guy making the video didn't know that, but I remember looking that up. Uh, so anyway, yeah, they're Android-based game consoles. Uh, they've released the developers, so you can't buy one yet because there aren't any games yet. So they're kind of in the hands of the developers so that they can make games so that then they can sell them, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it actually holds up. Yeah, and the cool thing about, well, the thing that they're going to try to do is they're supposed to be any game that is developed for them. It's kind of be on the freemium model. You know, you have the free game, and then you can purchase, like, additional levels or something. So, so according to the article, you know, I'm, according to the article they sell 1,200. So if each one of those guys makes one game, they'll launch with a, an ecosystem of 1,200 games. Right. And I think a lot of those were the Kickstarter people. Um, right. Yeah, I you know, I don't have a problem with the free freemium models when it comes to gaming. But there's a time where I just want a AAA game that I can just go play and not have to worry about, oh, I got to go buy that now in order for me to continue playing. Right. That just gears on me a little bit. But it's cool that you can, like, you get like one level free to think, do I want to buy this game or, eh, I don't want to spend money on this game. So, you know, imagine, so think Halo, like where the first mission is free, you know, and then do you want to spend the however much to complete the game or was that one mission enough to say, I don't really like it. That's my understanding of how the model is. Now, again, that's just my understanding based on yeah. when I read this a month ago. <laughs> So in the tradition of gaming consoles and in the tradition of new news releases that say what people already knew, Steam confirmed that the Steam box, or Valve conf confirmed that the Steam box is actually going to happen. We all kind of knew that, but now at least they said it. Right. And I'm looking forward to it. So how is your Linux evaluation of Steam going, Chris? 
Um, for the games that I own that are Linux-driven, that are Linux-compatible, it's great. Um, especially because a lot of the... Uh, not a lot, but a good chunk of the games that I've purchased in my history as a Steam player, um, there's been a few that are Linux compatible games that they've, you know, the, they flipped the switch and now they give the Linux binaries through Steam. They work flawlessly. Um, Uplink and a couple of the other games, I, I don't know them off the top of my head, but Uplink and, and Hacker Duality, I think, is the two that, I, that I've been playing a lot of lately on my little laptop because it's out in the living room and when I get bored watching TV, I pop it on and play a little bit. Um, but it's flawless. There's almost no. I have. I've had one hiccup in the entire time that I've been on the Linux beta, um, and that was a, a a bug within the driver that I had for um, the display card that I was using. Um, but that was fixed two days later with an uploads or an update. So I, you know, no blood, no foul. And those are the uh, kind of things that they can totally fix in a set top box because they control mm-hmm. the hardware. And they can exactly. find the one card that works perfectly and make sure they've got that one in there. So it really should be a pretty amazing experience for people. It should be. I'm really looking forward to see what the Steam Box is. And, and they're, they're what they call the big picture mode, which is what they're going to have for when they're for their Steam Box. It's going to be their interface. I played with that a little bit because it's on both the Win- Windows and the Linux client. That's kind of a cool interface. It reminds me a lot of the Xbox 360 d- dashboard. Um it's a nice, simple interface that, you know, I sat my son in front of it and said, can you tell me what, what to do here? And he, he was like, oh, yeah, just let's go here and let's go there. And he was all over it. So I know my son's probably not the, the ideal market, but when a 12-year-old can do it quickly, um, I think that's a that's a good thing. And they're going to have something that no one else does, and that is you buy a game on your console, and then you can play it on your laptop, on your desktop. You can play it at a hotel room somewhere. Uh, you can go anywhere and play the exact same games, not just uh, tap into your characters, but play the exact same games and pick up exactly where you left off. So that, yeah, that that's they're their going, whole steam-powered. Yeah. They're, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, I think, in the gaming world. Oh, yeah. They're going to become a monster, uh, especially with some of the, the things that they have available to them already. Uh, Borderlands 2, for example, is a AAA game that is... You know, there's been a couple of hiccups with some of their updates that that's been released for like the Xbox systems and the PlayStation system. But there's never, if there has been a hiccup in the Steam version or the PC version, it's been fixed within hours of the release. Where if it goes to the consoles, it has to go through the Q and A of the console developers before it can be fixed. So it's it's interesting to see what will happen down the road. I hope. This thing takes off, and I, it, it, Valve, come take my money. And especially if they add things, since they're using a PC, if they add things like a media center and the ability mm-hmm. to throw on a DVD or a Blu-ray drive. Uh, well, it's going to be Linux-based, so probably no Blu-ray. Uh, but if, if they add these features to it, so you've got your game console plus your home theater PC, plus you know maybe even a home automation system, for you know the same cost as a as a dream uh, dreamcast same cost as a as a ps3 or an xbox see i'm, I'm living in the days of the dreamcast <laughs> then then they really have a big value add and things like yeah. the ooyah uh don't have a chance yep 
And I think that's where Steam needs to start chomping on Ouya's lunch because if if Ouya makes it and starts becoming a, a force, Steam's gonna have a hard time breaking through because Ouya is gonna take care of all the casual gamers, and Steam's gonna eat that lunch. Otherwise, it's gonna be a hard fight for them. Well, but you know it could be, but. How many gamers have both a 360 and the PS3? You know, there's a lot of people who have both. And they just, yeah. and depending on the game, determines which one they play it on. So, uh, you know, and to me, it's just like, instead of there being three consoles, now there's going to be five, and next week, 50, and then a right. million! So. Well, that would be fine as long as the games are all released on all platforms. But a lot of the times, there's games that are you know, exclusive, and then those exclusive right. releases are what hurt the industry, in my opinion. And I think that, that um, you know, the Ouya and things like that are going to have the casual games, the Angry Birds and the Temple Runs and, and that sort of stuff, and those are fun, but nobody wants a set-top box that does that. You know, they're they're fine with that on their phone or their tablet. Uh, so I think that's they're going to have to find something, you know, more interesting to make mm-hmm. that happen. Uh, and sticking with the games, uh, ever heard of GCW Zero? I haven't. Seth, what is it? Well, this is an open source handheld thing. So think like um, PlayStation Portable or Vita that it's called now. Um, it's kind of what it looks like. It's like a little three and a half inch screen. And um, they are a currently a Kickstarter project. They are on pace to get about 60% over their goal. Um, and, uh, so, you know, so you can't get it now, but the specs look pretty good and it'll have like USB and HDMI as well as, um, in addition to the storage, it'll also have, you know, slots to add cards for, excuse me, for additional storage, but, uh, it's going to be open source gaming, uh, for the handheld model. So, Hmm. And then uh, one last story I want to cover uh, because this is the show to cover it, and we haven't because we've been away, and that is the Ubuntu phone. Uh, <laughs> that uh, was a, it's announced it doesn't exist, only in a couple of videos here and there uh, that are carefully orchestrated, I'm sure. Ubuntu has announced that not only is it getting into the handset software business, but they want to produce handset hardware they want to make a phone a la apple where they uh, control the the hardware and the software (laughs) (laughs) i just think they're gonna crash and burn um it's just i don't know maybe it's just me in in my hate for some of the things that ubuntu is doing but i just have a funny feeling this is going to be it's either going to blow up in their face and they're going to end up going, well, maybe we shouldn't have done that and lose all that money that they could have put towards, you know, maybe fixing Unity. But that's why they made Unity. <laughs> Unity exists for this play right here. Yeah, well, and, you know, one of the reasons that it could blow up in a good way is, you know, it's not like um, the, you know, it's not like the iOS versus OS X where it's different things. It'll be like you can have an application on your desktop computer and then have the exact same application on your phone. Not some stripped down light sort of does a couple of the same things, but since it's the exact same operating system. Now again, 
could be good, it could be bad, but that will be a differentiation, uh, if that's a word, that will set them apart from, uh, you know, the other few million handset OSs that are out there. I'll tell you what this will give them, though, for a, a select group of people, and that is true compatibility between your phone and your desktop. If you're an Ubuntu user or a Linux user in general, and you have Linux on your phone, there is at this point, other than the interface, there is no difference. What works on one works on the other. You can copy an entire, you know, open document file from one to the other and it'll work. And, and Windows has been promising us that and never delivering it. And nobody else is even talking about it. You know, you got yeah. things like the Motorola Atrix where you plug it into a dock and you sort of kind of get a computer-like experience, but it's really just the phone on that on that device. Well, Ubuntu, you it is a computer. So you plug that into a monitor and a keyboard and a mouse, and you have a computer. And then you take your computer with you. So uh, it's it's um, that that is an advantage that they will have over over everybody else. The issue that I see with it is their market share is so tiny, right? Yeah. That uh, I it's they're they're going to be growing pretty much from nothing. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a grassroots at best growth. Um, I just have a fun. I, I personally, if I were to see the two, say the the whatever version of Droid is out, and the Ubuntu phone next to it, and no pro, and let's say the, the pretend money's no not not the a deciding factor. Personally, I'm not going to go with the Ubuntu phone because I don't like the way it looks. It just looks. I don't want to say horrible, but it looks funky. You know the the way that the the it's gesture based and it's just totally different from the norm that we have now. In order to to do some of the things that they do from the, the from the videos that I've seen of the Ubuntu phone, um, and then there's also rumor that there might be two different versions of the Ubuntu phone experience. One is it's Android when it's a phone and you dock it and it turns into Ubuntu. Um, well, that's uh, Ubuntu for Android. That's different from the phone. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. One of the one of the things there's, there's been a lot of of talk here and there about this sort of thing. But one of the things that that the Shuttleworth Foundation or Ubuntu, what, whatever, uh, that group of people has said is that that the the dock your phone and it becomes a computer is what they want to happen. Is it real now? No. But it's what they want to happen. They've they and they've introduced something called QML, a QT meta language. That helps bridge the gap for de- for developers of say um, Rhythmbox, so that they can build a phone friendly interface. Um, and they 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 are saying that it will be binary compatible. The interface is going to be the difference. And so they're creating this uh, this intermediary language that you create widgets that that you get there. So they're not saying it's there yet. The phone isn't there yet. Uh, but they're saying that's their goal is to have a fully functional machine that works as a computer and as a phone. You know, and the thing about Unity the has a desktop interface. I really don't like it, but in the small form factor, because the way it looks is the exact same as the old Ubuntu Netbook Remix. Um, that's, I mean, of course, I understand that underneath is probably a little different, but that design, that um, environment is well suited for a smaller screen. You know, it, it's not like you know, when you try to do Windows 7 on a phone and you just shrunk everything, it, it looks good and, you know, it 
I don't I don't want to say it doesn't necessarily work good, but it like it flows well on a small screen. So Yeah, when you when you talk about that convergence, you really have to ask yourself, are there apps that you really want to use in both places? And with the exception of media players, the answer is pretty much no. I mean, GIMP is my go-to editor, but it only really works if you got a 22-inch screen with a high resolution. You can throw all those things out there. I would never even dream of using GIMP on a small 5-inch interface, whether it's a phone or not, touch or not. It's it's too tiny. You know, Firefox um, takes up too much real estate with things like toolbars and all that to work effectively on a phone. They have a phone version, but it's not the, you know, the x86 Firefox version. So, um, there, there's going to have to be a whole paradigm shift, and it's what's happening. It's the the phrase I've lamented so many times: the tabletification of the OS. What we're doing is we're dumbing down our our desktop right. apps so that they become yeah. more phone like. Um, well, yeah, and, you the way you make an app is you take this awesome program and you weed out about ninety percent of it, and the ten percent is left. You call that an app, and it's supposed to be some super cool thing. But you know. You said one of the ways where I would like, um, I would love to have, for example, like Google Docs. You know, I don't necessarily want to compose a, a document on a phone, but when it's a document I've been working on, I would love to be able to go in my phone and have the ability to easily edit stuff. And so, easily and effectively, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, to go in and make small changes. Um, I tried to do that one time um, on my iPhone when I had one from a school district and it was painful. It was painful to do. And of course I understand well, the, the Google docs app has way. come a long way since then. Yeah. It actually is almost functional now. Almost. Right. But uh, so, you know, th- to say that, you know, and of course I'm not a real big GIMP user, but suppose there was a way on a photo you took to open up in GIMP and like touch out red eye or do some quick little one things to crop pictures or things like that. You know, things you could do with the full-blown application, you're using the same application, but only just a subset of its features. So, you know, you're not really learning, well, this is the GIMP on the desktop, and then here's a program that works totally different, but yet it's GIMP on the phone. Instead of here's GIMP on the desktop, and then here's GIMP on the phone, can't do everything, but it does what I need on a phone. And see, that's where that interface layer is going to be key. They're going to have to come up with interfaces that work on the phone that tie back into the original binaries. It's going right. to be it's going to be mind-bogglingly difficult. Uh and I don't think it's going to be effective. I mean, uh, what open source project isn't cash strapped and developer strapped? Are any of them going to throw throw effort into developing an entirely new interface to shoehorn something into a phone? Exactly. I just think it's a a waste of resources personally. Um there's other things that could benefit from that developer time, um, be it Ubuntu, Unity, or maybe throw it at uh, compatibility between the GTK and the Qt libraries. Um, but there are things that, that need more time than the phone. But I, I know why they, they, they're aiming for the phone, because they want market share. They, they want eyeballs. That makes sense. Um, but I, I think it's a wrong choice. I, I'm go ahead, Seth. No, I was gonna say if it works on the phone, it'll probably work on a bigger interface too. Versus if it works on a big interface, you then have to turn around and do it on the phone. So right. if you know if you're gonna do one interface to rule them all, 
start with the one that would be most universal. Maybe just a thought. Yeah. The, the, the big issue though is, is the conversion between X86 and arm because X86 can't work in a mobile world. You know, we're just not there. I would love to see that technology happen so that we could have that really super beefy chipset. But right now, battery and heat concerns. I mean, you'd have to have a a big fan with a with a heat sink on the back of your phone, even if you could power it uh, to run an x86 chip in a phone. Well, you that's know, the steampunk model, right? Right. Is that your phone vibrating, or are you just happy to see me? Um, you, you know that commercial about the uh, you know to go green, and it shows right, them everything, everything gas is gas powered. <laughs> you know, rrr. yeah. Start up your little chainsaw engine to run your phone. Uh, there are some technologies out there that are going to free us from the tyranny of batteries, but we're not there yet. And so that's where I, that's why I think this is going to be a fail. But I've been wrong. I've been wrong today, and in the next few minutes, a large portion of our audience is going to think I'm wrong again. Uh, so uh, let's uh, let's start with some listener feedback. We have some uh, uh, a few emails and a few voicemails that I want to play for you, and uh, and we will uh, go on to that. This first first one is from Sporksaber. Perfect internet name. And he leaves us a voicemail in which he says, Hey everybody, this is Sporksaber. I just wanted to wish you guys over there a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And that is a short and sweet voicemail. Thanks, Sporksaber, for wishing us. It was a great Christmas, and so far it's been a pretty good New Year. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, our friend, Mr. Scott Dowdle, after we sort of excoriated him um, in a couple of, uh, in an episode, uh, responds, and uh, again with a, a large and lengthy discussion. So I've cut out what I think is the. Uh, relevant part and again since it's been like six weeks let me remind you he's responding to an article that uh brian lunduke wrote um that says if linux were no longer open source would you use it or would it matter so here's what uh, scott has to say the reason it matters to me and it's okay if it doesn't matter to you is because he was basically trying to undermine the very fabric of the community we have with Linux by saying that to him, open source doesn't matter. Okay. To him, it doesn't, but to all of the developers and distrib- distribution makers, it is a matter of great importance. Things get dropped and replaced all the time because of minor licenses changes, much less a major one, like going from open to closed. I realize that most users are like Brian and they barely think about the values that most distros have, distros have, not just the software saints like RMS, but it doesn't hurt to mention those values every once in a while. And so, yeah, he could have just said no with and answered, <laughs> responded to the document. But yeah, so. And, and we're going to talk about that. That's what this show is about. The, uh, the, uh, what do you call them? Software saints. Uh, and those who are uh, all about open source, uh, we're going to talk about those guys today. We've got a few more things uh, first. We've got a, both an email and a voicemail from our good friend Door to Door Geek. Um, his email says, hello, Mark, Seth, and Chris. Quick comment, which is a lie. Door doesn't know how to make a quick comment. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, doesn't, for him, it's those a senses quick don't comment. work together. So <laughs> quick is a relative word, not right. a uh, length of time. He says he's talking about KDE, uh, and and we were uh, talking about why we, um, we Chris doesn't like likes KDE better than Cinnamon or this something. Guy. In fact, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, so uh, he says KDE. KDE is super heavy because it wants to control everything. Thus, you always know 
where to find stuff no matter what the distro is because with kde you can say it's in there every other um de um desktop environment there you go thank you loosens the reins a lot you can easily change what any application input or output from or to in a specific sound card or any other desktop app that uses pulse with pavu control you were complaining about that. In short, mm-hmm. in my very biased opinion, with KDE, you need to know KDE. Without KDE, you have to know more general Linux. <laughs> and I refuse to read the rest of it as he wrote it. Um, <laughs> so thanks, Dor. It is, a, it is a Linux, almost a Linux versus KDE thing. In some in some fashions, I'll agree with that. Yeah, if if you know KDE, you can make things happen that... You can't do in other distros or in other desktop environments because KDE controls everything. Yeah, and then that can be good and that can be bad depending on your point of view. You like it that way. Oh, I love it that way. Yeah. And then he also sends us a voicemail, and and I picked his out. I got a couple of voicemails about it, and a lot of emails and other comments about it about the issue of Samba. We mentioned uh, we allotted. Uh, uh, Samba for uh, for Microsoft for contributing some uh, some source code to Samba, and we said this is a good thing, and uh, the internet went nuts on us about it, and I think Door uh, sums it up better than most, so that's why I put his voicemail in here. So we'll listen to that. Hello, Mark. Hello, Gooey Kid, Manline Godfather. I really well, this is Door Door Geeks in I really, honest to God, hope you guys don't actually believe Microsoft willingly gave up Samba, i.e. Active Directory information, because they're good people. I also hope uh, that you guys um, don't fall for, you know, they are con- they are contributing to kernel code because they're good people. They're not. They are contributing code to the Linux kernel to make sure Linux runs better in their hypervisor. It's a very selfish maneuver. And all of the Samba quote-unquote help that they gave, they had to give because the EU ordered it. They lost an antitrust case, thus they had to give up the ghost on a lot of the APIs and a lot of the calls. They still did not hand over a scratch of actual code or actual documentation on the back end of how everything works. They just gave up what was ordered by the EU. So they're not doing this because they're nice people. They're doing this because they're selfish and because they were ordered by the EU. I really hope you guys knew that, and you have a nice day. I'll talk to you guys later. Keep up the great work. All right, Dor. So I'm going to respond to that, and then I'm going to let the other guys respond to that. I don't freaking care. All right? Um, Yes, I did know that. Uh, after the show, I did some. Re- I didn't know it during the show. After the show, I went and did some some further research, and yes, it was a suit uh, where. Uh, in the EU, uh, Microsoft was found to be anti-competitive and forced to uh, give some documentation. However, they went farther than they were required to do They because they saw it as a valuable business opportunity. Just like you said, 
Um, they they went further than just giving the documentation they were required to give. They actually contributed code. And yes, you're right. It was for their own purposes. Okay, let me say this. I'm a capitalist. Businesses are not people. Businesses are made up of people. Businesses don't have morals. Businesses don't have obligations to make the world a better place. A business has one obligation and one obligation only to make money. So if Microsoft did something just because it would make them money, yes, that's what they're supposed to do. I'm not going to vilify them for actually fulfilling their purpose as a company. So that's my rant. Guys, what do you have to say on the subject? You pretty much summed up my comments too, Mark. Um, I'm I was I I knew about the suit before the show, and then, of course, I, I kept reading on it because it was an intriguing read on the fact that of all the stuff they did, um, so it just I'm happy that it was done. I'm happy that Microsoft, even if they were ordered to release this information, that they did release the information because that makes everyone's life better. And I'm all about making my life personally easier. So that's how I look at it. Thank you, Microsoft, for making Samba more compatible. And thank you for making my life not so much hell. Seth, what do you have to say? Well, um, you know, that was part of my research for the story. Yes, they were required to. But like you, I know they went further. And yes, they contribute to the Linux code to make sure it works better on their stuff. But the inverse of that is also true. They contribute to the Linux code base to make sure their stuff works well with Linux. Microsoft has a company produces contributes far more to the Linux kernel than Red Hat does, uh, than the Shuttleworth Foundation does. They have a larger percentage contribution to it than them because they want to make money. You know, I know that, you know, Nobody likes capitalism anymore. It's like a cuss word these days, but they, you know, I love to bash Microsoft products, but they make some good products too. And so they want to make sure that there's a continued place for their software by making sure it's compatible with that. And it's not like they're trying to get the Linux code to where, you know, they're the only ones who can use it. They just want to make sure they can still tie into it. And, you know, there's tons and tons of other developers out there who accepted that code it's not like oh crap we have to take this from microsoft they look at it and they go hey this is good stuff i'm glad i'm glad somebody gave it to us so you know yes of course they did yes we knew it yes we're happy they did so you know it's good good for them that they did it too so that uh the feedback that i received now among others again this is uh cherry-picked among the much that I received, uh, uh, brought up this discussion, <clears throat> and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay it on the table, and I'm gonna be uh, honest and and forthright, and I'm going to say that much like unions in the United States, who once were necessary um, functions that made the country stronger and better, but now are are parasites that are eating the the economic engine of this country alive i think that the free software zealots stallman and his type are the same they had their they they needed to be for a while they were they were valuable they were um visionary they were important now they have become an albatross hanging around the neck of innovation 
let the hate rain down. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I I agree with you about unions, um, but I think with the with people like Stallman, I think you need someone around to clearly define the position that he does. Um, because you have people trying to define the position on the opposite polar extreme. Um, if you don't have if you don't have people on both extremes talking, you don't wind up in the middle. If you have somebody far on one side talking to somebody in the middle, you end up halfway between the middle and the far side. So you need people on the super closed and the super open to bash so we get kind of close to the middle ground. So as far as it's not that he's not necessary, but I hope we don't get all the way to the position he advocates. I, I just want him to shut up, frankly. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and I just offended a whole lot of people there. There are a lot of union members out there who are oh, listening yeah. to the show who are sharpening their pitchforks right now. Go, go ahead. I've got my email, my Gmail filters already set up and ready. Uh, <laughs> your, your message will be directed to the appropriate place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I just think that uh, we are now stifling innovation in the in the the guise of principles. Principles are good, don't get me wrong. But uh, when principles stand in the way, you have to wonder if they're still valuable anymore. Uh, and and you know this there's an article that Seth uh, uh, found that I think is great, uh, where Stallman. Um, you know, uh, once again, warns about uh, freedom and piracy, and he, and he goes on to uh, the the interest. the The lead uh, of the article goes like this: Richard Stallman doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't buy DVDs. Doesn't use Windows or Mac OS laptops, and doesn't use closed source commercial software. He's not on Facebook, and has never owned a car. He does all these things because of his principles. All right, I let me say this: I have the utmost respect for Richard Stallman because he is a principled man and he's a smart man. He's smarter than I am and he's, he's more principled than I am. And he stands by those and he lives his life in such a way that supports his principles. Good on you, Richard, for that. Now shut up, please. You're standing in the way of innovation. Um, now he may not buy DVDs, but I can guarantee you he's watched a DVD. He may not own a car, but I can guarantee you he's ridden in one. So what good are those principles when you are willing to take advantage of other people who disagree with you and you're willing to stand on their shoulders, but you're, you don't want to get your clothes dirty. That's not principles. That's selective uh, preaching is what that is. Oh yeah. Uh, I can understand your point, Mark, but you know that we need people like Stallman as, as a guiding light more or less. Not we don't have to walk in his shoes, but as as a uh, as a watchdog maybe would be a good word for it. So that way we don't go too far on that. We know his extreme, and we and we don't want to be in that extreme, but yet we can enjoy the stuff that he is bringing because of his extreme. And the same side goes in the same thought for the other side. You know, I personally, I don't like Apple's walled garden as they word it um but because of their walled garden and the way they do things we get some benefits in the in the android community because android is not as walled they're still a walled garden but they're not as walled 
So if you have both sides of that coin, you you get a good chunk of innovation because you know so you know this on the Stallman side, he's saying we need to have everything open, 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 and that's fine because that's in his. I'm trying to think how to word this. The um, yeah, circle around. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> to collect my thoughts here because. I can understand your point, but on the same note, I can understand the point of him, and and I like the idea of open. But I I'm not going to s- stick my life in that. I'm not, I personally I wouldn't go in his shoes. I, I couldn't do it because a I'm not as principled. Obviously, you know I I run Windows in a couple of machines, and I have a, a Wine install on my laptop. But I need to do. But I need to do things to do my life, to do my work, to keep things moving in my house. And if I went totally on the closed source side, yes, I could probably still do that, but it would cost me tons and tons of money or tons and tons of time on either side of that thought. So by taking from both sides, I end up in the middle and being what I need to be. Seth, you have a comment? Well, um... Well, no, I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> everybody is crawling and uncomfortable now. <laughs> no, it's, I just, it, he it, brings it's a hard... up a lot of good points because for example, you know, if you don't, if you don't pay for the product, you kind of are the product. And one thing I hate about, you know, Facebook and even really getting with the Google plus thing is wait, wait, let me stop they, you there, Seth. Let okay. me stop you there. If you don't pay for the product, you are the product. In Stallman's world, you can't pay for a product. It's not possible to pay for a product because it's immoral and you're evil if you charge money for your product. If if you use if you write code because information wants to be free, right? Information wants to be anthropomorphized. Uh, that's that was Stallman's thing. Information wants to be. It has to be free. It must be free. If you close it down, if you trap it, you're evil and you're immoral. So how dare you talk about charging a fee for software? You idiot! Sorry. <laughs> now go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm just waiting for the inner tubes to turn on fire and to burn our show to the ground after that soapbox moment. <laughs> Holy! At least you have some uh, thoughts exactly where you want them to be. <laughs> We've been planning this show for six weeks. I've had time. I, yeah, obviously. Uh, Mark, why don't you respond to some of the stuff Dowdle's putting in the chat room? Because he he got a little fired up by your initial rant. <laughs> a little? <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I'm not going to say that yet. Um, okay, well, he's, he's going on and he's saying that uh, in what way, he asked a valid question, in what way is Stallman uh, standing in the way of innovation? It's very simple. If I can't feed my family... I'm not going to write software. In Installman's world, anybody who sells any software is wrong. That stands in the way of innovation. Because I can't I can't be a software, I can't be a coder if I can't make money off of it. Right now he's he he's big on saying there are other ways, there are service models, there are other ways to make money. That that doesn't seem to work. People who have tried that have gone out of business and are now selling insurance. So it's one and, thing to have a principle; it's another to have a family that you have to feed. 
And most of the free software that gets written, and again, having said this without any research to back it up, well, I will say a lot of the free and open source software gets written by people who are paid to develop closed software who do this on their own time, or they're hired by companies who right, sell okay, closed software. I, I get that, but no, if we're I talking was, about a purely Stallman world, there is no working for a company that sells software. That's no, I wrong, was and that's immoral. with your point okay. that open, open is great, but closed does not equal evil, and open does not equal righteous. And the zealots, the thing I hate with the zealots is you're wrong and evil because you disagree with me on either side. Now, you know, I, I use the best product for the job. If the best product is open source and free, great. If the best product costs money, well, do I need the best product or can I do with something that's for free? Um, because I, I'm pretty, I'm a, I'm a cheapskate. Um, right. I'm not necessarily a principal person. I just don't have the money to buy the software I want. Um, so and Daddle in the chat room says you can sell software. That's true. The open source license lets you sell software. But in the reality, in the real world, where people actually have to live and make money, you can sell software once. At that point, it now the person you've sold it to owns it, and they are free to distribute it. You cannot prevent them from distributing it. A fellow by the name of Dan wrote a product called Dan's Guardian. It's a content filter. He sold it for $1,000 to the... Um, um, I just blanked on it. What's the name of that distro that everything's based off of? Smooth. Uh, is it Nopix? No, or? the Ubuntu is based off of Debian. Oh, Debian. The Debian. Debian bought it from him and put it in their repositories. Completely illegal. Perfectly fine. Now, anybody who wants it can simply go get a copy of free Debian. How did that work out for him? He made a thousand bucks off of it. Ever. Forever. Yes, you can sell free software once. And you just have to trust that that person you sell it to never sells it to anybody else or gives it away. Because under the license of, of open source software, once you sell it, once you distribute it, it belongs to them. It is theirs, and they can do with it as they please. And if what they please is to throw it up on a torrent site, you're SOL. If Microsoft today were outsourced, were open sourced, nobody would ever buy Microsoft ever again. It, it would hit the one person would buy it. It hit the torrent, and that'd be the end of it. Yeah. But then they, you know, they'd get their money like Red Hat does, where it's a support-driven system. Yeah, and Red Hat. I mean, good for them. Their success. They make. They had over a billion dollars in sales. But compared to the software, that's a drop in the bucket in the enterprise software market. So yes, they are making money, but nothing near like what Microsoft makes or, you know, or Apple or other Google Oracle. Um, and they're so. making their money off of support, right? They're not yeah. making their money off of sales. When you buy that, you're not buying red hat software. You're buying a support for it because you can go out and get CentOS for free, which is exactly the same thing minus the branding and get that. So you're not making money off of the software. You have to give the software away. That's the code. That's the law in the world of Stallman. You have to give the code away. So you're not selling it. Yes, you can you can make money off of support. Yes, you can you can package it up and say I, you know, I wrote a piece of software. I can say the software is free, but the disk that I put it on costs $17 million. And that's legal under the Stallman way of doing things. And you can do that. 
once. And then that's it. And now nobody else ever makes money off of that. It, it, it flies in the face, face of capitalism. And again, more, uh, principles are good, but they have to be modified to work in a real world. Hence the reason why I said we need people like that, though. We need those guys to show us what, you know, his thought reign or his thought process so we can see what his world is like in order to say, well, that's not quite where I want to be, but I want to be halfway between Stallman's, you know, thoughts and a closed market system. Okay, so he's done that, right? He's up there. He's, he's the great prophet of open source. He's written his um, holy text. It's there. Everybody knows about it. Now he should go away. It's there. We, he've done, he's done his job. Now go away and stop bothering people. <laughs> but if he goes away, then we have uh, just the zealots that are running things, and people misinterpret text all the time. Um, that's kind of an easy thing to do, misreading or putting your own emotion into a, thought, into a, a line of text. How often is that done? Um, you know, hello, holy wars. You know, yeah. It happens all the time. <laughs> now, so, also, I want to point out, uh, Dowdle in the chat room says that uh, proprietary software is pirated all the time and it hasn't destroyed the market. Yeah, no, it hasn't destroyed the market only because legal entities can't afford to be running illegal software. It shuts a company down. If it were now no longer illegal, nobody would buy Microsoft products. The only thing that keeps people buying software is threat of lawsuit. In jail time. Yeah. And, and threat of losing their livelihood because you they know, can't look, afford it. In, in, in that thought, look at um, Pirate Bay. The, the guys who technically weren't even giving away the software, they were just linking to it. Um, they got their hands slapped so hard that they're facing, you know, what was it, a half a million dollar fine right. just for running a website that linked to private or proprietary software. Um, so, you know, we're, we're stuck in a, the technology and people's thoughts are moving faster than our laws. And I think that's the biggest problem. Well, and here is a, here's a quote from uh, this article that you referenced at the beginning of. Stallman advocates for open source software where users are given access and encouraged to modify the source code of programs they use. He distinguished between free has in freedom software and zero cost software, saying that they don't necessarily go hand in hand. He told the audience that closed source programs, programs that don't allow access or who that don't allow this access could harbor malware and backdoor exploits because users can't review its code. Well, I, you know, granted, that's true. You don't know what's in there, so it could. But I am not a programmer. I have to take somebody else's word for it that the open source software doesn't have a backdoor or an exploit. You well, know? and here's, so, here's the reality of that. The, the reason you know there's no software in there, backdoor in there, is that if one was found, the company is ended forever, and they would never be able to sell their product. Okay? If you're not selling the product, there's no motivation to keep yourself on the straight and narrow. If you're not making money, if you're not building the livelihood of you and your f employees on that, then there's, there's nothing there. I would argue that closed sourcing keeps people more honest because if that sort of behavior is found out, their entire business model dries up. But if that business model was never there, there's no reason for them to be honest. Yeah. 
Greed keeps people honest. It's not, it's not the greedy businessman who's dishonest. Greed is what keeps people honest because once the light is shown on dishonesty, the money goes away, and the greedy person doesn't want the money to go away. All right. I'm going to end this discussion <laughs> with this statement. About two-thirds of what I said, I don't believe. You have to figure out what is what. But I, I knew it would make for an interesting conversation. So if you made it this far and you haven't already burned me an effigy, you can relax and know that I'm not the foaming little lunatic I just played the part of. But I wanted somebody to be on the show to represent those who are diametrically opposed to the Stallman-esque way of thinking. Because we, all sorts of Linux shows um, preach the Stallman gospel. I wanted to be the one Linux show that didn't. So that's, that's, that explains my behavior on the show. If you thought it was out of character, well, you don't know me very well. Uh, <laughs> but that, that, Well, that, I think I we was, try that way, Mark. Honestly, though, I think we try to stay, you know, not the Stallman, you know, re-preaching, but we try to blaze our own path because we do dabble both sides of the coin. Right. So, so I'm, I'm not as hardcore as I said, but I didn't necessarily... Uh, let's just say I didn't say anything I disagree with. I just don't necessarily uh, believe it as wholeheartedly as I represented. Um, you know, I'm not a foaming lunatic. I don't think Stallman actually needs to go away. But I think the question needs to be asked. When is the right time for Stallman to go away? And nobody's asking that question. Well, I'm on the business side. Microsoft is saying, make that guy go away. Um, he's annoying. Um but, you know, the EFF is a good thing. I'm glad they're around. You know, they, they defend people, and, and that's the Electronic Frontiers Foundation that Stallman co-founded. Uh, so, you know, he's doing great work, and, and I don't want to uh, let the audience think I don't uh, recognize and appreciate that. But I think we need to have that discussion periodically, um, just as the open source community, and, and do a gut check. Do we really believe what we believe? And the, and the only way to, to know that is to attack it and to be able to defend it. Good, you know that's and that's a good thought. I mean, how many? I mean, how long has it been since the open source software in a as a culture has done that? You know, has you know looked deep and thought, okay, are we actually following in the shoes that we want to be following in? Well, I think where most most open source developers make that decision is when they can't make any money. And and so this this there's this microcosm of this conversation happening over dinner tables, uh, honey. You know, we, we I wanted to do this open source thing, but we're just not making any money. Um, if I close source it and sell it, I think I can make some money. Um, you know, are you okay with that? You know, and and you know we're talking about something that was, uh, you know, something novel and unique. Uh, oftentimes people say, well, once something has been open sourced, it can't be closed sourced. That's not really true. If you own it. You can change the license of it. It's yep. only if it's only if if you have used other people's open source code. So, you know, if I'm a developer and I'm writing this new Whizbang whatever software, I have a choice to make: do I open source it for the good of the community, or do I sell it for the good of my family? And my belief is that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, you're going to choose to put food in your kids' mouths over than over uh, uh, benefiting the community at large. 
if it comes between a choice between those two. The community begins in your dinner at your dinner table, and that's the one you're going to protect. And we don't have these discussions often enough. And those people get railroaded into either open sourcing their software and not making money or giving up programming and, and driving a school bus for the rest of their life. Which is a sad thought. You know, that's kind of a shot in the leg there, Mark. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> First show of the new year, I needed to come out with, with guns blazing. There you go. All right. So let's end this uh, on a happier note. Mr. Command Line Godfather, what's our command line of the week? Well, today's command line is actually a list of command editing shortcuts for when you're in your command line and need to do, you know, different things in it. Um, this, I, I have the link in the show notes, and I'm going to put it over here right now. Um, it, they're bash shortcuts. So if you're trying to... Um, say go to the front of the st- of your string of of commands that you're typing in. You know the control A will go to the beginning of the line, or control E goes to the end of the line. So there's there's things like this that you can bounce around your string of if you make a mistake instead of arrowing back through. You can use these shortcuts to make your editing of your command quicker. Um. It's it's not the best way of doing things, but if you're living in an SSH terminal for an hour or two hours a day, any few seconds you can save yourself, might as well do it. Uh, and some of them are kind of funky, and I don't understand why they're the commands that they are, but if you're living in a shell, these are going to be your bread and butter. Uh, some of the ones that I really use a lot are the go to the start, go to the end of the command, um, or delete from this point forward. That's I've used that a few hundred, a few hundred times in the last couple of weeks, um, because I totally goofed up a, a string, and I just needed to, to wipe it off. Uh, but it's it's nice to have. It's one of those things that um, I have it printed out and sitting next to my uh, next to my keyboard. So when I need you know, oh, how do I do that again? I can just quick look over. It's in a nice, quick format, and it's a really good, good set of editing tricks. When I'm in the term, terminal doing a really hardcore terminal session, which isn't often, I have taken to typing my commands in a, a text editor and pasting them into the command line. So that for this reason, if I type it wrong, or I, I can make sure I don't type it wrong, or if I reuse them, uh, I can do that. So these these shortcuts are are helpful. Uh, to say the least. Yeah, it's it, you know I ran across it a few weeks ago um, when I was I don't remember what I was doing when I ran across it, but I I just kind of stumbled into it, and I was like you know this is a really good list, and ever since I found the list it was like like I said I printed out this that section and it's sitting next to my keyboard at work. All right, and so from the command line uber geekiness to the gooey kid, what do you got for us this week, Seth? Well, you know, I know a lot of people make uh, New Year's resolutions um, as the New Year starts out, and so one of the things everybody wants to do is they like want to save more money or get out of debt or whatever like that. So this is a website, creditkarma.com, where you can go to and you can sign up, and it's free, and you can it's basically trans, trans unions service where you can go and you can view your 
credit report and get your credit score from TransUnion. So you can go there, you can fill out the account, and then, you know, the way they do it is like, um, you can, if you're on the page talking about credit cards, you see ads for credit cards. If you're on the page where you're talking about your auto, you'll see ads to refinance your auto loan. So it's free to use. Um, you can, uh, and if you're looking for credit cards, you can get deals there or whatever, but you can go there, sign up, and take a look at your credit score, and it will tell you you know, what your grade is, and it'll break it down by categories. And um, you know, there's even like a little simulator on there. What happens if I pay off this much of my debt? What happens if I do this? What does my credit score look like then? So, you know, if you wanted to know what your credit score was, um, you can go to Credit Karma. That's Karma with a K, and you can sign up, and it will tell you what your TransUnion credit score is. That's one of the three major credit bureaus. I've actually it's TransUnion, Equifax, and what's the other one? Experian. 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 Yep. I, I've actually used this before because when I rented the yep. house that I'm in now, they had, they required a credit report. Right. And uh, that's not uncommon, but this is the first time everybody anybody after actually required me to bring my own credit report. I wow. Mean, if you're if you're asking for a credit report, you should do it yourself, you cheapskate. Uh, uh, but uh, the management company that that I rented from required me to provide my own credit report. Uh, so you Did know, you not go like, to like annual credit report and get your thing from there. Well, there are, there are a lot of options like that. You can go to TransUnion or Experian mm -hmm. or, and you can ask, uh, every 90 days you can ask. So, uh, if you do every third, that's where a lot of those like LifeLock, those companies that, that promise to monitor your credit unit, that's what they do on your behalf. Every 30 days, they ask a different company. So you ask three, then you can circle back to the first one. And you can get a, a free credit report every month with with no charge. Uh, but what I what I found about Credit Karma is they go the first step, but but beyond what's required, they go a step farther and say anytime at any point you can get your own credit credit report. Uh, and it's your information; you should be able to get that because information wants to be free. Uh, so, <laughs> and so I know uh, Experian, I think, has another one. Uh, credit Sesame has an Open Sesame, um, but Credit Karma is the one I've used and. Uh, so I thought people might like to know about it. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I, I, I've used Credit Karma too. Um, one of the things I do like about Credit Karma is when I was going and looking for uh, a new credit card, because um, we're closing off one and getting a new one, uh, and I, we're looking for a better system, you know, better benefits for using their card, uh, I like the way they, they listed out different things for my credit score, you know, the likelihood of me actually getting the card or... Um, the different benefits. Um, is there an is there an annual fee? Is there not? You know, it just it, it's a nice way of simplifying the double page, super small fine print right. legalese that you got to read in order to figure out if you want to try and apply for that card or not. Uh, I uh, I don't do credit cards. I swore them off years ago. I own a couple just because they're vestigial. You know they're like the appendix. I don't use them anymore, but they're still still hanging around. Um, but when it when it came time to do this, I was actually afraid I wouldn't be able to get a credit report because I don't borrow money. Uh, but uh, the things like my bill payments of, of my gas bill and my water bill were, were on there, and I forget what the top number is. It's like eighteen hundred. You know, there's there's a top number there, and I was like fifty points away from that because I don't I don't do credit. So which that's interesting because that could go the other way. Because essentially, a credit report is your uh, lending report card. How how good are you at paying back your your uh, debts? And mm -hmm. since I don't take 
they don't have any debts. I wondered if they'd actually be able to pull one. Well, yeah, they'll always be able to pull one. Um, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you can get to a point where there's just not enough data. Yeah, you could, but that would take years and years of, of living that way. Um, personally, when we use the credit card for gas when we go on trips for black belt testing or you know taekwondo trips or whatever, that's what we use our credit card for. And we were getting a really crappy rate and a really horrible benefit, so we moved. Yeah. <laughs> I use a debit card, so I get all the advantages of a credit card, but with no credit involved. Yeah. So anyway, that, nobody asked for that. Um, maybe I'll do that on, on my other show sometime. We talk about the evils of credit because I've been out of debt and back into debt more than once. And oh, it's, yeah. It's like the, the, the ultimate cycle of stupidity to work so hard to get out of debt and then get back into it because you're just a moron. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. you have to have those conversations. You have to look in the mirror and say, the man looking at me now is a freaking idiot, and we're going to fix this. And yep. that's the only way you ever get out of debt. Yep, and that's, yep. And that's a hard truth to, to hit. And when you get to that point, you're like, okay, right. I'm dumb. Right. <laughs> and that happened to me at like 19. I was dumb, and I'm still trying to get rid of the dumbness that I yeah. was. Yeah, college is when they got me too. That that they, they, they aggressive. I, less so now, but when when I was in college, they were like set up outside of the bookstores. Yep, uh, giving away not only you know if you apply for a credit card, you get a free hundred dollar gift certificate to the mall or whatever because they know that once you they can hook you there, they can make millions off of you over your lifetime. Yep. Yep. Wow, that's a, this show got depressing in two different ways. It did. Uh, Jeez. <laughs> So uh, it's great, uh, great being back. I enjoyed talking to you guys. I haven't talked to both of you at the same time for a long time. I missed you both. I love you guys. I um, love you too, man. But you can't I have love my Mountain you, man. Dew. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those of you listening, we love you too. You're the reason we do this. I mean, to a degree, we might do some of this if you didn't listen, but not all of it. We certainly wouldn't come together every week. We just call each other and gripe about stuff. Is what we do. Um, but uh, thanks for uh, uh, for um, listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we're back. And we're not going to go away for that long again. Of course, we didn't intend to this time. So uh, don't consider that a promise. Things come up. Life happens. Yeah. Uh, yep. but, but we don't plan to go away for six weeks again. So uh, happy new year to the uh, element OP faithful. And uh, <laughs> it's funny. I was getting... Uh, a couple of people, I think literally two, um, sent me emails at different times saying, "I'm, I'm not only am I out of everyday Linux, I've actually listened to all the past ones. You guys have to come back and give me more content." And I thought, <laughs> you know, that's both very cool and very sad all at the same time. Yes. <laughs> that they my- that we force them to go back and listen to episode one. I apologize. I throw myself on <laughs> the mercy of the court for making you do that. Yeah, I feel bad about episode one too, but you know it, it kind of <laughs> happened. We had our beta and our be- our alpha beta testing, and now we're we're running full tilt. <laughs> All right, so uh, good night, everybody, and that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Mm-hmm.